Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. J.J. Cooper, John Manuel, Ben Badler here. We have kind of recovered. I wouldn't say we've recovered from the trade deadline, but no. we are digging out. We have <laughs> almost, we can see daylight again. We didn't. We barely saw daylight last night as we were leaving the office. That was, John, the thing I thought about, Ben, the thing I thought about was I was so glad yesterday that the trade deadline is no longer at midnight because if it had been at midnight, we'd have been here till 4 or 5 a.m. Seriously, Ben, wasn't that one of the best things about the deadline was that they moved it to Monday at 4 o'clock? That was glorious. I mean, we were, we were still here till like 8 working on trades, but that would have been a bad scene to have that at midnight. Yeah, I think MLB slowly over time has realized, yes, having these deadlines not be at midnight, having them be <laughs> during the afternoon when people are awake, people are consuming baseball information at a reasonable hour is a smart idea for them. Is that a smart idea for everybody? Crazy idea. The and the players. It's a, it's a novel concept to have people, let's do this when people are, you know, paying attention. <laughs> and think about the dudes who used to have to work the, Men and women who work on Park Avenue and MLB, they would have had to be there till like, well, I just imagine I mean, we had the story at our winter meetings at our gala this year where the Pirates and Bud Selig <laughs> talking about with Frank Cooley about the, the whole Pedro Alvarez signing in 2008. Back when the draft signing deadline was midnight. Draft signing was midnight or, or 1208, yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever Frank Cooley talked it into. But there were many exp- they let the expletives fly, and and there wasn't even the velvet fog there to, to engender that conversation. It was just Bud Selig and Frank Cooley just f bombing left and right about what a crazy scene that was. They've learned that hey, let's, let's do that at four o'clock when it's still frenzied, but less you know crazy. But not it was frenzied. Less crazy, but the thing about it is, is that it does make it where it becomes an event. Right. You can't have. You can have an event that ends at midnight, but if you have an event that ends at midnight, a lot of your people that are interested in it don't see it till the next day. That's not an event. When you do 4 p.m., the great thing about it was that was the, the, the story of yesterday was a crazy trade deadline day. It is funny to me, a few years ago, we had a pretty modest trade deadline, and I remember thinking at the time, maybe they need to push this thing back. Maybe it needs to be August 15th because... This isn't, a, this is maybe team, there's too many teams in it. No one wants to sell. We didn't have that problem this year. So <laughs> yeah. with that, Ben, I, I kind of will start with you. What team impressed you the most? It can be a buyer or a seller, but what team really impressed you with what they did? Obviously, there's probably more than one, but what's one team that, that really impressed you of how they did, not just yesterday, but in the whole month of the trade deadline? I think I don't think any team did a better job last month, or I guess technically it was August first too. But I don't think any team did a better job with the with the trades they made to help them win a, a championship in the future than what the Yankees did. To look, I know Aroldis Chapman and Andrew Miller are two of the best relievers in the game, but at the end of the day, you know, Chapman is not going to pitch that many innings. Uh, then Miller, you know, you have him under team control for, for more years, so you, you can probably, uh, I, I can understand more why they were able to extract more value from that deal, but to come away from those two trades getting 
Glaber Torres and Clint Frazier, who, you know, by, by any, you know, I think any club you talk to would call them two of the, two of the best prospects in baseball. Uh, I mean, Torres is a guy who could be their shortstop of the future, or if not, it could be Jorge Mateo. Uh, I'm not sure what they're going to do with, uh, with those two guys, but, uh, Glaber Torres to me is a chance to be, a, you know, an above average everyday starting shortstop to, to get that plus, you know, three other players in addition to that, you know, buying low on, on Billy McKinney, uh, who I think has a, a chance to turn things around. Uh, but frankly, even if they had just gotten Glaber Torres straight up for Uroldis Chapman, I would have called that a, a huge win for the Yankees. Uh, and then to go out and, and get Clint Frazier, uh, from, uh, from the Indians, uh, for Andrew Miller, I, I think Frazier alone would have been, again, a, a great get in exchange for Andrew Miller. Then you're adding Justice Sheffield in there, a couple other interesting guys and, in, uh, in the pitchers they got in that trade as well beyond them. So, um, you know, the trade they made for, for Beltron, Dylan Tate, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with Dylan Tate. Um, he, he, he certainly seems to be trending in, in the wrong direction. I still think he can turn things around based on what he showed last year, what he showed early on, uh, in the season when his stuff was better, uh, very early in the season. So there's some hope they can turn things around there for him, but really just, between the trade they made, the like Labor Torres and, and Clint Frazier, I, I thought they just knocked it out of the park with those deals. Ben, you know, I, I think this is one where uh, I, I think we all agree that that was uh, the Yankees did really well, especially when you again you put it in the context of uh, this is a team that uh, you know they traded two relievers and a 39 year old DH, you know, and to, to get the return they got on that was pretty significant. That said, I think this is where, where you and I disagree. I'm not on the Brian Cashman train. I've never seen him as in as favorable a light, I think, as maybe the New York media has seemed to. Um, when you consider this century, I mean, 98, 99, 2000, three straight World Series championships, that's an unbelievable run. Certainly Cashman had a hand in that. He inherited a team that had won the 96 World Series, went to the playoffs in 97, had an unbelievable core of homegrown players, and the Yankees had a lot of financial advantages. In the last 15 years, I, mean, I shouldn't dismiss all that, but I kind of am, because <laughs> in the last 15 years, he spent literally billions of dollars in payroll, and the Yankees have won World, won World Series. They had a long playoff streak uh, the last few years. They've either missed the playoffs or gone to the wild card. There's definitely been a downward trend as the Yankees milked as much as they could out of veteran players like Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez. And it wasn't really milking wins out of them. It was milking marketing opportunities and celebrating the end of Jeter's career. Um, I really feel like now there's probably going to be more heat on Brian Cash. But now that he's made these trades, which I think we all acknowledge were good trades, but they have to start being the Yankees again soon and, and win. Do you feel like Cashman will play a longer game with these guys, or do you feel like he tries to spin some of these prospects for uh, younger veterans, but still bigger league veterans, this offseason and tries to get the Yankees back into the first division because, frankly, they're not a first division team right now. Uh, how do you feel that plays out? And uh, Am I being a little, a little too harsh on cash? Yeah, what's always difficult for me with Cashman and, and the Yankees is separating – 
ownership and how much influence they have over the decision making, which right. in that in that situation seems to be significant. And I think it's important to 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 look at an ownership in in any organization. I think ownership uh, has a lot of influence in, in a lot of clubs, Definitely. dictating the moves that the that the general manager is even able to make. And now some of it is is on the general manager to convince ownership and, and prove to ownership why they should be making certain moves. I mean, you look at what, you know, I'm just thinking about this now because we just reported, you know, Ronald Bolaños, a Cuban pitcher, has a deal uh, to sign with the Padres, but the Padres decided to go out and spend 60-plus million dollars on international free agents this year. So, obviously, repeat that again Diego, for someone for anyone who missed that. Repeat that one more time, Ben. How much did yeah, they spend? The San, the San Diego Padres, between signing bonuses and the overage tax that they're going to have to pay next, you know, next year in July, have committed more than sixty million dollars to international free agents, mostly teenagers from Latin America. Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Mexico, Cuba, uh, and to do that, to, to go to a, a smaller market uh, owner and say, hey, we need to be spending 60 plus million dollars on a lot of 16, 17 year old kids out of Latin America who you've never seen before, just trust me on this one, uh, <laughs> is not an easy task to do. Obviously, in San Diego, they're you know, their general manager, A.J. Preller, was able to persuade the owner, the ownership group there that that was the right thing to do. And I, I think certainly part of being a general manager is not just managing downward, but managing upward as well. And managing your a owner. Relationship. Yeah, because yeah, there's a lot of owners that, uh, you know, sometimes it's good to have a, a hands-off owner. Sometimes it's uh, it's a hindrance when you're, uh, when you're in that situation, uh, and and the the opposite is, is true as well. It, it just depends on the situation. So sometimes you have an owner who thinks he, you know, who wants to play GM, and that can be very frustrating. I know to to a lot of general managers uh, around the game. And I, and I and getting back to the Yankees, I, I think that there, there's certainly a lot of times where I, I think Cashman has wanted to to make certain moves or has disagreed <laughs> with certain moves that the Yankees have made but have been more dictated by ownership and not wanting to to take a step back and, and try to, to go for a rebuild. I mean, it, it seems like even trying to convince ownership to, to trade somebody like Andrew Miller uh, was not an, an easy task. So uh, how much of that falls on Cashman, how, you know, and, and his ability to, convince ownership that this is something that they need to do, which look to their credit, they, they did do this year and they made a lot of good trades, certainly this year right before the deadline. But uh, it's always difficult to tease out how much, you know, how much credit or, or how much influence goes to the general manager and how much is ownership either supporting that or, or getting in the way sometimes. Yeah, it's a difficult question, I think, like you said, to answer really with the Yankees. And um, I do feel that, I guess that's the thing for me with, with uh, Cashman is he had to have ownership buy into selling. And then he did, I think, an astute job of selling. And now he's going to have to do an astute job of rebuilding. And that's a tough neighborhood 
The Rays have fallen on hard times, but Toronto, Boston, and Baltimore, you know, Boston and, certainly has some really exciting, young, athletic hitters. If they can figure out the pitching side of the equation, um, Boston's going to be, I think Boston's going to be a contender for several years um, with the rebuild they've done around, you know, the likes of Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley, Xander Bogarts, et cetera. And now Andrew Benintendi, who came out. And now Andrew Benintendi's there. And then uh, going back to, circling back to the international spending, Johan Moncada to come. $63 million by himself. So, <laughs> exactly. Know. So we put that in context for the, for the Padres. It was quite a spending spree. It was not in the Red Sox neighborhood. Um, I think the other American, another American League team I think was a big storyline, guys, for me, was Texas and, and, and Cleveland. And the American, they're probably, well, not probably, Potential for three American League East teams to make the playoffs as wild card, two wild cards and a division winner. They're all bunched together. Certainly the Astros are still in that as well. Absolutely. But um, and the Charging Tigers. I shouldn't leave the Tigers out. They're only four back yeah. of the Indians. I still don't. I think they're charging. I don't think they're going to catch. But I don't think so either. But keep in mind that uh, they're doing this with Justin Upton having a brutal year. JD Martinez is in injury rehab right now. They're not at full strength. They're going to get some internal. Improvements both from Martinez coming back and Upton to me can't be this bad all year. So, um, but but the, my point being, Texas though to me was the other American League team that made themselves. I, I I thought they made themselves the favorite in the American League guys because I I just loved the Luke Croy acquisition for them. First of all, because he didn't go to Cleveland, he rejected that deal. But second, just JJ, you pointed it out, just what a festering wound catcher had been. For the Rangers, they've traded away Jorge Alfaro in last year's Cole Hamels deal, which was a smart move because Cole Hamels is Cole Hamels. But Lucroy fills such a, a gaping hole for them at catcher. I, I, I've, I've He's a on, massive improvement. I've said it on two radio shows today. Like I challenge you, if you're listening to this podcast, can you rattle off the four Rangers catchers who've started 10 or more games this year? I can only name three yesterday. And you did. I promise you that most people cannot name two. Can it you is, name them, Ben? Let's see if you can name the, the the starters and catcher this year for the Rangers. Ten or more games. Yeah, I'm gonna tap out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer was Bobby Wilson, Robinson Chirinos, Brian Holiday, and Brett Nicholas. I mean that is and the thing about this shocking. is check out the transactions on how many of those guys are waiver pickups. It is Well two it, got DFA'd yesterday. Yes. Brian Basically, Holiday DFA'd, and who else? Was it Brett Nicholas? I think it was Nicholas was the other one. But it, it really is something where they have survived this year. They are they have basically jumped to the front of the American League West with number three style catchers. Guy, I call a third number three catcher the catcher who spends most of the year at AAA, and then you call him up to the big leagues well, when you an have injury. an injury. Exactly. They've had. Roughly three of those guys on the roster. Not a knock in some. Those are big leaguers, but they're not the guys you want to rely on. They go from that to having one of the best catchers in the American League now. Yeah, I mean one of the better two way catchers, and Ben. Then they also pick up Carlos Beltran with Prince Fielder injured. That's a a nice. I mean, I know Beltran likes to play some of the outfield. I actually, was talking to someone today about this. And Beltran feels more comfortable when he plays some outfield, but. So he could slide into left, I presume, at times. I know they have Profar playing some left field now. Um, presumably he would DH the majority of the time, but he doesn't like being a full-time DH. But there's really not a hole in that lineup now. Now, now with Lucroy, uh, Mitch Moreland was player of the month last month. There's not one star on that team offensively, I guess, except for Ian Desmond. 
having an MVP caliber season. And they've got depth. Joey but, Gallo could plug in at three or four positions. He's sitting in AAA. But there's just there's just not a negative spot on the entire lineup at all for for uh, for the Rangers. Are they the favorite in the American League for you? Yeah, I think either to me it's either the the Rangers or I I, I really like the the Blue Jays too. I just think that the lineup that they have is is still just ferocious. It's pretty but, bonkers. But yeah, what, pretty what bonkers you, lineup. Yeah, what what you, what you said about the the Rangers is is right on. There's no there's no real glaring weakness uh, in that lineup. There's no easy <laughs> easy out. And now that you're obviously the catching situation they had. Was, was the, the most obvious weakness from an offensive standpoint. Uh, and in the farm system too, it's not like there was anything coming up to, to help them. I think maybe, I, I would say the best catching prospect in their system right now is 16 years old, David <laughs> Garcia, who they just signed out of Venezuela. And, uh, he is certainly not in the 2017 picture. So, um, for them to, to go in and get a catcher and, and upgrade that position, somebody you can, Help them, you know, not only as a, not just as a rental player, but somebody's going to help them, you know, down the stretch this year and help them in, in 2017 as well. Uh, big, uh, big price to pay. Uh, but, uh, but I understand why they did it too. Uh, and I thought, you know, it, it, to add Jeremy Jeffers, uh, into that deal, it, it's tough to know exactly how to evaluate that deal without knowing exactly who the, player to be named later is that could be a, a pretty significant guy potentially uh but but to add two guys like that somebody who can help their bullpen somebody who can help their their catching situation for not just this year but but beyond this year too uh, i thought was uh were, were pretty sound deals for the rangers and milwaukee uh made a couple of deals selling will smith and then uh the lucroy deal they got some pretty decent value back it seems like jj i'm not again the player be named Maybe a big factor in their deal right. with Texas, but for Will Smith, I mean, Will Smith's a good lefty reliever, versatile. But Andrew Susak and Phil Bickford from the Giants—that was a—that was one of the more impressive returns of any individual trade. I know I, I like like that one a lot for the Brewers. The Brewers now sit with seven top hundred prospects in our midseason top hundred. That's tied with the Yankees for the most. Um, Orlando Arcia came up today. Jonathan Villar, who's been a re- revelation this year. Slid over to sliding over to third base with that. And the Brewers rebuild is, I feel like, even with some hiccups this year, they've had a couple of guys. RC has not had a very good year. Um, you know, they've had some guys who have not progressed as well as you would have hoped this year. That being said, this is still a team that to me looks like I see a very clear plan of, of kind of what's coming together. Right. And I, I like what's coming together as far as the long term. We're talking long term they have the problem which anyone in the national league central has right now which is is i think this cubs team is going to be good for <laughs> several years to come but that's all you can you, you all you can do is get better and i think the brewers are doing a good job of not trying to hang on to nothing because they had nothing to hang on to and instead they're really building for the future i mean it started really like in spring training or before that when they traded chris davis to the a's for uh for Jacob Nottingham, and I forget who the other part of that return was. Is that Megden? I don't remember if it was Daniel Megden or not. Um, it was Bubba Derby. Yeah. Similar genre of pitcher, but uh, yeah. probably not as good. Um, but, yeah, Milwaukee has been focused. And it is interesting to me they called up Arcia. It's almost like they called him up because he had stalled at AAA, not in spite of that. Uh, 
They, they called him up because he was getting stale at AAA and really hadn't responded. Um, I wonder if the way that his brother kind of got to the big leagues and then kind of backslid, if that's instructive to uh, RC, uh, Orlando RC at all, because the, the reports on him energy-wise are not, they're not great. They're a little too Jeb Bush-like, a little low energy. He, he had such promise last year. And I don't want to, I haven't bailed on Arcia, but I am, I'm curious also to the timing of this because Jonathan Villar has been pretty flighty in his career. He's toolsy though. This guy's leading the National League in stolen bases. He does strike out a lot. It's 115. I think he was fourth in the National League in strikeouts the last time I checked. Um, he's certainly not a profile third baseman. So it seemed like it was odd timing to bring RC up. I almost feel like it was part of, let's just get him out of Colorado Springs and see if we can, almost, I wouldn't say salvage, but uh, get him on a, have him finish this season on a better note than it was going in AAA. But I do like what Milwaukee did. I like Andrew Susak as a, at the very least, a placeholder catcher now that you traded Luke Roy. And uh, Phil Bickford's going to really be the, the question, Ben. Like, do you, do you feel, I guess I'm almost wondering, like, how much could a player lose? Could, did Phil Bickford's very meh uh, futures game performance, uh, could that have driven his trade value down a little bit? Uh, or do you feel like the Giants just, the Giants needed pitchers and they went out and got two potential impact left-handers and Matt Moore and Will Smith? Was this a matter of uh, that the prospects were, value were a little bit lower for the Giants or was it a matter of uh, the Giants just were willing to pay a fairly high price to get the guys they targeted? Yeah, it's probably a little a little bit of each. I mean, I think, uh, you know, what everybody saw at the Futures game was it's not like Phil Bickford just had a an off day that day. And, uh, you know, he was he, he looked like that for, uh, you know, the, the starts leading into that as well. So I'm, I'm sure the the Brewers saw either, either the before or the after, right after the Futures game. And, yeah, I'm sure that all played a, a role into it. But, I mean, you look at the... You, you look at the stuff and, and the performance, I don't think he's going to be, uh, to me, I don't think he's going to be like a number one or, or a number two type starter, but uh, if this guy can be a steady number three starter for them, which I think he has the the upside to develop into, uh, to get that for for a reliever uh, is, is, is great value for uh, for the Brewers, even before accounting for, for Susek and, and from the Giants, uh, I, I did think that they overpaid, um, but it's yeah. I, I think what you said is, is right too. That uh, they just said, "Look, we need. We're going for it this year. We need bullpen help. Uh, we, you know, if we don't think this guy is going to be a, a frontline starter, we're willing to to part with him." But uh, I, I still think there was a, an overpay by the Giants and, and great value for for the Brewers to turn Will Smith uh, into into those two players. And I, I thought it was just. I, was, I just thought overall it was a, a really good trade deadline uh, for the Brewers in, uh, in you know in the way that they were able to to audible off of the the Luke Croy deal that fell apart with the Indians and and still come away with you know obviously we're adding Jeremy Jefferson to the deal so it changes the equation but you know Lewis Brinson uh, is is better than <laughs> any player that the I, I thought they would have gotten from the Indians and. I think Louis Ortiz probably is as well. I think Brinson has a chance to, you know, certainly his stock is, is down this year. Uh, he's had some injuries and, and the offensive performance, uh, hasn't, uh, hasn't been what we, what, or what I would have expected from him coming into the year. But, 
uh, if this guy can just be even an average hitter uh, with the defense that he brings, with the, with the raw power that he has, this guy can be a, a star. Uh, and then Louis Ortiz, the you know, it, the body is not going to impress anybody. It's uh, right. uh, Chamberlain-esque, but it's, uh, you know, frontline starter type stuff with, with really advanced feel for pitching, too. He, he knows how to locate his fastball. He's got the the stuff across the board to, to be a starter and a potential frontline starter. So uh, overall, I thought the Brewers just did a, a really good job. Uh, especially after the the initial deal with Lucroy with the with the Indians didn't come to fruition. How about uh, I wanted to ask you guys about a couple of other kind of rebuilding kind of jobs. You know, the Rays are another organization that traditionally has, I, I guess I shouldn't say tradition. They've only been around for twenty years, but uh, their their brief history has been they've pro scouted pretty well. Um, and then here, I, I, this team has been a, a significant disappointment. Uh, I did not think Tampa would be last place in the American League East. Um, what the, how how'd you think their return went, J.J., for what they traded away? I mean, there were some small pieces like Brandon Geyer, but the Matt Moore return, uh, Michael Santos, Matt Duffy, Lucius Fox, um, uh, they get pretty decent value in your mind for Matt Moore? Okay, um, but the reality of it is is that the problem I have right now for the Rays is, is I don't know how the Rays get from where they are right now to back on top of the AL East without getting really bad again. I mean, they were really bad at the start of their, basically the first decade of the Rays was really bad, and then they got really good, and they had that stretch. But the reality of it is, is when I look at this team right now... 20 games under 500 at the big leagues as we speak. 20 games under 500, and part of it is, is I feel like, where is their offense? I'm not even going to say offensive identity, but... They're, the the best players they have offensively are in some cases guys that they've had a very long time. Yeah, they're last in the league in batting, second to last in the American League in on base, second to last in runs scored. It's not a good and, look. And it's not like I don't think that they have some guys in the farm who are, who are pretty good. I think it's a pretty solid farm system, but it's not a an elite. It's not a top five farm system. Right. And with it not being a top five farm system. It's hard for me to right now see, okay, the path from this because it's a very difficult division. And you look at them again, you compare them. I know that they've been, you could say they've been more consistently good in the last few years than the Red Sox, although the Red Sox argument on the counter is, is, yeah, if you're going to be bad, be bad, then win a World Series and be bad. I'll I'll take that over consistently struggling to try to make the playoffs, but... I just look at this team right now and and say, like, okay, again, compared to the Yankees, they've got more at the big league level right now than the Yankees do, but we also know that the Yankees are going to have a ton of money to spend. I feel like that them and the A's are the two teams out there that it's just very difficult to see how they get from where they are to consistent success because I think that the Rays aren't – this this year is going to help them in that standpoint that they're going to draft really high next year. But – they don't have uh, – this does not, to me, this is not a complete teardown rebuild. The teardown rebuild would have been they trade from their very still solid pitching staff. Yeah. They traded a guy. They didn't trade four because they have – and I understand that. It would have really been tough to sell trading more and Odorizzi and maybe throw in a Smiley or an Archer or whatever. Yeah. But by not doing that, Okay, well, this is the standard that the Rays did this when they were good. Yeah, they would trade away 
you would go, wait, they're trading away Matt Moore, but they would say, yes, we're trading away Matt. We're trading away a guy now for more years of control of another right. guy. We're trading James Shields, but we're bringing up Matt Moore. That, that's almost, or we trade James Shields, here comes Chris Archer. That's how it, it did seem to be just a conveyor belt, one after the other. The conveyor belt is right now, like, they're starting at a much lower level, which means you can't just replace like for like even. They have to somehow get better. And they, uh, they're definitely paying, in my mind, uh, for some of their drafting sins. They, which we wrote about it last year when they, uh, started 2015 when they we were looking at it and they, they still had really very little. They, they had on, on the front of homegrown position players. It's, it's startling to look at their offensive, their, at their lineup right now and see how little play discipline they have as a team. It's more than three to one strikeouts to walk. They've already got 945 strikeouts as a team. What's the major league record? Like 1,200 strikeouts? They're, they're going to threaten that this year. That's a lot of strikeouts. And it's not a good AAA team. We're here in Durham. It's, it's not your first a, it's place, not a good but team. that's because it's a bad division. It's a, yeah, it's an under five. And, and they can't hit either. Um, to 308 on base as a team for the AAA club. It's just been year on year of. Below par drafts and attrition, and and and, and so, but with, but when you when you're a small revenue team with their ballpark issues, you're in this division with these big big revenue clubs. A lot of them are pretty well run, um, and, or at the very least well managed in, in Baltimore and a very resourceful big league uh, roster. The Rays just can't afford to miss over and over again in the draft, and they've. They've done it, you know. They've and they're paying for it. And I agree with you. I think they're going to bottom out. I think they're going to have to trade Archer or Oda Rizzi, two of those three or four remaining starters, and really start over. And Ben, I I kind of thought that the not just because of Andrew Friedman, but I thought Chris Archer to the Dodgers made a lot of sense, and the Dodgers' uh, depth of farm system made sense. I thought Yasiel Puig to Tampa made sense. I thought that I thought that was the start of something. Archer for Puig and some prospects. I guess I'm curious what you thought of the Rays and where do you think that that organization goes from here? Yeah, I think for them it, it makes sense. I'm sure they looked at what the some of the packages that I mean, geez, if Drew Pomeranz can get you Anderson Espinosa, yeah, what can what can Chris Archer get you? I mean, Great some of the other prices that we saw. I mean, and if Again, if Aroldis Chapman can get you, you know, a, a rental of Aroldis Chapman for just for the rest of the season can get you Glaber Torres. Again, what can Chris Archer get back? Now, one of the tricky things is that you're, when, when you're making a deal in the, the middle of the season, some of the available trade partners are, are more limited. Whereas if they make a deal after the season, which I think is certainly going to be a story to watch, and especially because if you look at the other starting pitchers that are going to be available in free agency, you're if you're looking for a frontline starter, you're out of luck. Right. <laughs> There's just the pitching on the market this off season is just it's just bad, and it's not like there's any international free agents coming over who are are going to be able to step in and fill that role either. So uh, to, to for them to I, I can understand why they would. You know, it's not going to get blown away with an or, with an offer for Chris Archer. Uh, I can understand why they would say, "All right, well, let's let's take some time, go go into the off season, and maybe consider trading away him or trading away 
uh, Oda Rizzi then. Uh, you know, these are guys who are under, have, have team friendly deals, are, are under team control for, for multiple years. You know, if we wait until the off season, maybe bring in more suitors, uh, and they could potentially get some, some blockbuster returns to, to help rebuild the, the farm system that, that like you said, uh, has, uh, you know, is paying the price for, for a lot of the drafts of, uh, of recent years. Well, one of the other clubs I wanted to get to, it's one of these uh, revenue-challenged clubs, uh, has been the Pirates. Certainly have a great ballpark, our reigning organization of the year. But I think that was one of the trades that I know in the office, Ben, it really stunned me and JJ. Not that they traded um, Francisco Liriano to the Blue Jays for Drew Hutchison, but that Pittsburgh threw in two prospects. And they weren't just two prospects. They were two top ten guys. Harold Ramirez and uh, uh, Reese McGuire. Now, certainly McGuire, I think McGuire and Ramirez between them have three home runs this year at Altoona. So, you know, right now they're not looking like impact guys. Ramirez was outstanding last year offensively in the Florida State League. McGuire has a reputation. I think he keeps earning this reputation as an above-average defender behind the plate. And Those are hard to find. unfortunately also earning a reputation as a below-average That's it. We keep on looking at, like, hmm, who are the comms for him offensively? And it's like Josh Tole without the average or, you know, Brian Schneider without the walks. It's not, yeah, it's not a pretty picture. Um, but still, those catchers are hard to find. Um, Harold Ramirez can hit. They're both young and in double-A uh, ben, I mean, that, that was a, another testament to – this seemed like it was as a trade market of extremes. Like you said, extremely high price paid for extreme talent like Roldis Chapman. And here was a very high price that Toronto was able to extract in exchange for taking on the entire $18 million plus of Francisco Liriano for this year and next year. Yeah. for I mean, from the Blue Jays' perspective, uh, I loved it. You're basically just – Buying prospects, right? Actually, <laughs> what right. they're doing. Atlanta, the Atlanta Braves approve of this. <laughs> that's right, exactly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I wouldn't put either of these guys at the, the Dansby Swanson level for sure, but to to come away and like you said, you touched on all the the risk factors with Howard Ramirez and and Reese McGuire and and yeah, Ramirez in particular is a a very odd prospect just between the the body type, the way he moves, and the when you. <laughs> Some of the effort level with him is, is not always there. It's a good but, way to put it. Uh, we, we threw a Jose Tabata comp on him today. We were talking about that's like a. I yeah, I've i thought about that too. I I could see a, a, I could see him following a, a similar path and that being part of the the risk for him. But you look at his track record. I mean, he's 21 years old. Everywhere he's gone, he's hit 300 pretty much. Yeah, and he's doing it in in Double A now. I don't know. Yeah, the question is, does he have enough power for a corner? Does he have enough defense for center field? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. He, he does have that kind of a, a tweener feel to him, and I can understand why the Pirates would be willing to let go of an outfielder when they don't even have a spot for Austin Meadows. Right. But <laughs> this is basically them just selling two prospects to the Blue Jays. And from the Blue Jays' perspective, I, I love the – I, I love what the Blue Jays did overall at the trade deadline. I probably won't hear their name too often as the, the quote-unquote winners or whatever of the trade deadline, but because uh, there wasn't any real sexy moves. But to, to get prospects to basically just buy them for for money, was, <laughs> I always like that. It's not really costing them anything much in terms of players that they're giving away, and 
to get uh, to get Melvin Upton too. I, I thought you know to to get Melvin Upton, I thought was a, a good move also without giving up a you know a real top you know level player for him either. Somebody who's still you know a, a good player, but uh, somebody who's still very far away. Uh, and uh, our, our friend Hansel. That's but, right. I, forgot, uh, I almost forgot about that. Well, JJ reminded me about Gretel earlier today, and uh, I forgot that they, I forgot what they, that trade was. How about just Belvin Upton becoming a useful big leaguer again after the way he bottomed out in Atlanta? It's, the, this game changes so fast, JJ. It's amazing. I mean, you were just looking at the list of prospects traded in the last five years of the deadline. This year's list was a lot hotter than some of those past right. years. Right. It does seem like there's been more prospect talent this year. I, the, the tangent I want to go on now is, though, is, is that it's funny because, like, understandably, everyone who's listening to this probably has read at least some evaluations. It's not really something we do, but everywhere else on the web, there's a lot of evaluations like the winners and losers on trade deadline day. And understandably so, like, you get, like, the Rangers are a winner and the Yankees are a winner. Um and then you'll get like the Phillies are a loser because they didn't trade the, uh, you know, trade Jeremy Hellickson or things like that. The reality is, is like, to me, I'll give an example of a team that didn't do much of anything. And I think it's okay. I do think it's okay. I've been tweeting this for a couple of weeks now, I feel like, but the Astros did not make any major moves at the deadline. And so they're going to be put in the, the loser category because of that. And it's possible that they're not going to catch the Rangers. I, I, I do think that, but they've also in the last, they brought up Alex Bregman last week, who I know he had a rough first week, but the reality is, is that Alex Bregman, if he plays to the level that we believe he's capable of playing to, could be as impactful as almost as most any addition that you would make at this time of the year at the deadline. Maybe he's not Lucroy, but when you talk about the second level type acquisitions, bringing up Alex Bregman could do the same thing there. Very well, could. Uh, they brought up Joe Musgrove, who right now I think is in a relief role. But if you need another starter, Joe Musgrove is better to me right now than the Wade Miley's of the world who are being traded around. Right. The, the Orioles certainly wish that they had Joe Musgrove to call up. If they had, they would have called him up in April. You know, right. And they had to settle for Wade Miley. Okay, you need a reliever. They brought up, they're bringing up James Hoyt for tomorrow. And I've had multiple scouts from other teams tell me over the last two months, you know, I don't know why Hoyt's in AAA. I feel like that this guy could be pick, pitching leverage, high leverage innings. He gets a ton of swings and misses. A little wild, but a ton of swings and misses. If you add him as not a closer, but as another seventh inning arm, sixth, seventh inning arm, that's an addition. Again, on the same level as some of these relievers that we've seen traded in the past week. A.J. Reed, who I know I'm probably still driving. I'm, I'm heavy, heavier on the— I've been still on there, wouldn't you? But I like A.J. Reed. A.J. Reed went back down to the minors, pretty rough stint in the big leagues, admittedly, but went back down to the minors and just completely raked. I think it was like 425 homers. He's back up. It, I guess what I'm saying is, is that to me, like the Nationals, I'll give another example of a team. The Nationals went out and got Mark Melanson, good addition. The other thing I would expect or I would really kind of say I want to see them do because I like good baseball hmm. over the last couple of months of the season is take Ronaldo Lopez, put him in your bullpen and see if he can basically be a version of a 2002 K rod. Right. Where you say blow gas, by the way, all of a sudden this guy is a massive addition to our bullpen and see what it can do. I think if the rest of the rotation were to get healthy, I think that you would see Washington try to do something like that. Um, Maybe I'm trying to think of 2002 uh, Francisco Rodriguez as Dusty managed the other team yeah. in that World Series. Uh, he's probably not going to recall K-Rod fondly. Um, 
But yeah, I, the, the Astros are going to be fascinating because I do think the Astros can get better, but they're in a really – that American League wildcard race between two of the three from the American League East, the Tigers, who have the same record basically as the Astros, and Houston, because they're five and a half back. And I don't think yeah. they're going to catch no, that, a, I think a they're, much improved Texas team. I think team. that they are pushing for the wild card. So I they're think. in a dogfight. And I, I do think part of it is helping your roster. Part of it is helping your clubhouse with some energy. And they just did that last year with the Carlos Gomez trade, with Gomez and Fires. Gomez didn't play well for them last year, but it was more the energy that he brought that seemed like it helped the Astros. And that's where... Couldn't Bregman, gonna, I know he's a rookie, but couldn't Bregman's an energy guy. He, he is. He's just, I mean, he, he's just going to have to do better than one for 28. Right. I know that he will, but it's, it's, it's hard to bring the energy when you're one for 28. Right. So I, I see your point, and I, I would trust their prospects and their evaluation. At the same time, I do think they had more needs than just that. The, the just well, well, Bregman, well, well, uh, for, uh, uh, for me, I don't know who the first baseman were on the market out there. There really weren't that many. But I still think that they could have used a bat. Their outfield has been kind of a wasteland for them this year outside of George Springer. Uh, maybe that's because of Carlos Gomez trade they made last year. He's been pretty bad as an Astro. He's been pretty bad. And Jake Marisnik has just ceased hitting, you know, as a – I don't know that he ever Colby hit in the big and, leagues, but he and, and, and Colby Jack has not had as many Colby Jacks as he did in the playoffs. He, he's playing like it's 1865, which is how he looks, <laughs> as opposed to uh, <laughs> I love making Confederate hair jokes with Colby Rasmus. But for me, I thought the Astros should have made a move. Ben, I don't, I don't know what you think on that one. Uh, to me, they just they, they have need more help than their pitching staff and than, than their farm system even can provide. Well, I think the wild card for them is they're going to be able to bring in Ulyeski Guriel at some point. Great Probably call. Great one, call. I would think in the next week or two. He's playing tonight. According, according to Twitter, he's playing tonight in Lancaster tonight. So getting his. Yeah. Like, I know Josh Norris is down at the East Coast Pro Showcase and was hoping to see him in the GCL this week, but uh, Guriel is way, gone. By the way, and also yeah. Ken, Ken Giles is going to start closing today. Yeah, but great call on Guriel. Yeah, to me, to, to get Guriel, I, I love that signing for, at least for the money, the, the fit is, <laughs> is not so obvious, but, um, yeah, just to, to be able to add his, his bat into the lineup, I think could be, could be huge. I mean, maybe the, the world doesn't know yet just how, how talented of a player he is. Uh, if you're talking about, <laughs> I guess a high energy guy. That's that's not him. But uh, <laughs> just on 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 talent, uh, this guy can. I, I think he can step in and be. Well, I don't know what the. Certainly, he's not going to play second base for them. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be third base or more of the outfield. But you know, if they do put him at third base, well, Valdez is hurt position. right now. So yeah, I would think third, yeah. or fir- third or first. And I mean, I don't think he ever played first base for Cuba, but. Uh, yeah, that would be a, a stiff learning curve, I think. Yes. Jerks and Profar says, this is doable. Yeah, exactly. Even though I may yeah. occasionally chase after a ground ball to the pitcher's mound and realize, oh, wait, I was supposed to stay there in case they need to throw it. A little bit easier when you're 23 to learn it than when you're 33. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I think Gurriel is somebody you can step in and, and potentially be an impact bat for them, and it, and it didn't cost them any prospects. It didn't cost them any draft picks. It didn't cost them... Anything other than money. So, uh, you know, fit wise, I, I didn't, I was a little surprised just because it's not an ideal fit for, uh, for their lineup, uh, especially with, uh, with Bregman coming up, uh, and obviously Correa at short and, and Altuve at, 
at second base, but it's uh, this is definitely a guy who I think can come in and uh, give them an impact throughout the, the stretch run for them. That's a great call, a great way to end the podcast because I had forgotten they had Uleski Gurriel, even though I've been talking about it with JJ all afternoon, that, hey, he's going to Lancaster. He's going to play tonight, you know, so... Um, that that revises my opinion of how, how much help they get from internally, because if Bregman's gonna, it's hard to even for Alex Bregman to remain confident when you go one for twenty eight. I uh, bet you Alex Bregman he is up to that task. He may be, but Uleski Guriel sure as heck would. I mean, he's got a little bit longer time to call on for uh, of a little bit deeper well of confidence uh, with which to draw on. So talk about an X factor for the last two months. But the as we said earlier, the trade deadline was. Thoroughly entertaining. It was a little exhausting, but it was thoroughly entertaining. I'm just glad we were up till 8 writing instead of up till 4 in the morning writing. So, great stuff, Ben. Thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast. And, uh, JJ, do we have any offers? Are we supposed to be re- doing any reads on yes, this today? Yes, yes. Right now, the uh, Prospect Handbook. If you want to know about your team's new acquisitions, the uh, Baseball America Prospect Handbook is reduced price. Uh, so, go to baseballamerica.com slash store. And you can get your prospect handbook now for, I believe it is $23. I think it's $22.95. And so hey, I, the, the BA grades still apply. Um, and I, I think this is, if you, if you don't already have one, it's a great time to bone up for your September call-ups at the very least. Well, but especially also, because let's be honest, you want to have the full library. It's a wonderful reference novel. You know, like I use, I love going back to my 2002 handbook. So if you don't have, somehow you miss getting it this year, this is a great way to uh, fix that. For JJ and Ben, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.